Blog Talk Radio. Thank you. 
Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. What kind? 
kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you! I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year 95, you're a slave.
liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Welcome to Africa on the Move. As your host, Brother Africa, it's an honor to come to your homes this evening where we can speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We are here to give you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation, as to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you on the eighth day of October 2023 to Africa on the Moon. Our theme tonight is Tools of Oppression by the West. That's right, we can entertain the theme of Tools of Oppression by the West, and we encourage you to join us by dialing in at 323 Press 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Like always on Africa on the Moon, we will start out with introducing you to our political panelists and analysts, followed by the segment, What's Going On in Your World and Community, and then we will discuss the theme, Tools of Oppression by the West. So at this point in time, like always, you know how we get started with our party. As your host, Brother Africa, we're going to introduce our political panelists to you for today's program. First, we'd like to welcome Brother Haki, 
reason number one, organizing for the African Awareness Association. Welcome, Brother Haki, to Africa on the move. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mashoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and uh, you know my thing, Brother Africa, Brother Africa. You know, there's certain information that we have to. I think it's crucial in terms of imparting to folk, to our people, in terms of understanding the uh, legitimate situation that we find ourselves confronted with in a very hostile society. Uh, among these concerns is a question around, you know, education. Uh, one of the things um, I'm hard pressed to understand there's been a lot of changes to you know, education curriculum, and particularly when you start talking about historically, <clears throat> phonetics has been, always been used as a method to teach. Uh, reading now it seems that you know by sight by sight citing words uh, is supposed to improve one's ability, children's ability to actually read. It seems to me that what it does actually complicates kids' ability to read. More importantly, I think, or equally as important, is that this core question around mathematics, in terms of you know old textbooks being used, and when you have these current mathematical models or methods in terms of resolving complex equations, uh, unfortunately, a lot of poor schools are not privy. To such to such textbooks, and that's unfortunate. But it all leads to a a a a, a, a undermining of the whole the whole educational process. And so for me, so I find that problematic. So I look briefly at the history in terms of questions pertaining to education. I think some of the stuff people will find somewhat interesting. But anyway, <clears throat> brother, Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, the role of education in America has always been a source of contention among the wealthy. During the colonial era, many among the elite favored public education, specifically white males, while anti-federalists saw expansion of education to the poor as a threat to social political control, thus a threat to the wealthy self-interest. Such a theme was reflected in Adam Smith's theory on economics in which he postulated the overriding theme of self, self-interest, or David Hume's moral distinction deriving not from reason but sentiments Embedded in these moral principles is a dis- distinct lack of humanity. Instead, focusing on a means justifies the end polemic. This pits humans against humans in a perpetual war of unlimited casualties. Implicit in this war of attrition arose the best use of education to facilitate social control of the masses within limits suitable to ensure local elites and states could control the educational process, determine who receives quality education and who, and who does not receive quality education. The battle over the scope and quality of education was complicated by a federal mandate that viewed equitable education as preferable with the reasoning a democracy works best when the citizens are informed by an educational system that sees enlightenment as a desired goal. Not all states were in agreement with this stated aim of education. Mounting resistance to what they perceived as government overreach, many states, particularly in the South, put into motion various strategies to exert states' rights in the process undermine the federal government's attempt to, to promote quality education for all children. This pushback by states was successful, and no, no small part, owing to federal uh, bureaucrats and politicians, Republicans and Democrats, who sympathized with the desire to limit access to quality education for all children. By the 1970s, expenditures relative inflation for education was in decline. Helped along by political movements in the 60s led by college students, the threat to the status quo was all too visible. This perception of change led to surreptitious strategizing by politicians to devise a two-tier educational system for school children, one for the wealthy, another for the urban poor, 
and make no question, make no mistake about it. When I say urban, when, when they say urban, they're talking about African children. States would enact funding formulas for school districts in which financing of schools will be paid by paid for by property taxes and state revenues. Obviously, poor, poor urban districts do do not generate large wealth, and as a result, poorly funded schools. In order to ensure when urban schools remain poorly funded. Ronald Reagan, president in the 1980s, ended general revenue sharing grants with the states. Federal expenditures provided to states to ensure implementation of quality education to all children will be eliminated and replaced by block grants to, to of considerable less federal funding in which states are free to decide the level of funding for education in the states. Needless to say, not only has states and local government funding for urban education continued its decline in funding, about $2,700 per student, the level of funding for rural white districts increased about $3,200 per student. In addition, Congress reallocated the Secure Rural Schools Act, ensuring resources flow to rural schools. It is important at this point to note, to point out underfunding, the schools, underfunding of schools, according to various reports, is close to $150 billion yearly as such impacts all school districts. Now, the difference between spending and funding is, to schools is key. Spending over encompasses the taxes, upkeep, and staff to maintain schools. Funders may include books, technology, and subsidized lunch programs, class size, etc. This distinction is important in understanding the inherent inequality of financing schools and the role it plays in government decisions in funding schools. Debt, a demonstrative aspect of declining capitalism, compared choices be made. A precedent has been established where the exploitation of some level of education be provided to children of the U.S. Spending for purposes of education cannot be maintained with budgetary deficits, and as such, alternate means of spending for education must be sought. The emergence of charter schools appeared to serve that niche. Since 2010, charter schools have grown exponentially, about 7%. Funding the charter schools by government is immensely more cheaper for the U.S. government compared to traditional funding under the Department of Education. As far as funding of education, charter schools enjoy levels of financing education that the federal government lacks. Two examples. First, states themselves carry the burden of financing charter schools. With charter schools, states' rights become reality, where states enjoy unilateral control of education. Given all, given all the contingent 48 states have reduced per-student funding, either on the state or local level, at least some education is possible. Secondly, corporate funding of charter schools is increasing in part to corporate self-interest in terms of investments and potential influence of schools' curriculum. Currently, investments firms have been in investing in charter schools at market rates and showing profits while not creating a hardship for charter schools. Loans are repaid from state grants, corporate grants, and private individuals. Investment firms get to pad their bottom line from state and or federal tax credits and showing high-end huge inflow of money. However, there are serious downsides of the state education on numerous levels. One is the lack of capacity among charter schools. Currently, there are 15.4 million potential students in the U.S. Of this number, 7.3 million are special needs students. Charter schools' ability to absorb this number of children is in dispute. In addition, charter schools are free to pick their students, and because they are not established to accommodate special needs students, it's equally problematic. Another is, a, another is a problem of essentialism. Essentialism advocates education should only embrace con concerns of the future and not historical record. 
Under this education philosophy, corporate interests could use this philosophy to ensure greater indoctrination, leading to more inequality. Students who lack an overall the problem is the students who lack overall understanding of society will be more willing to engage in activity that is discriminatory and destructive. Ironically, it is groupthink that prevents attainment of a just and sane world. Even though political savings to the federal government is huge, the educational needs of children should far exceed economic gain to the federal government. The reality is national debt will never be paid. $34 trillion of debt and the interest on that debt accruing by $663 billion a year as of 2023 means interest payments are projected to be $745 billion next year, not an unprecedented amount of money. None of this bodes well for education. Clearly, the challenge to ensure education for all children lies with the citizenry. If we do not act, we, sh- we should not be surprised to find in the future not even a modicum of education in the public schools will be provided, just the illusion of education. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we make our transition to Brother Anthony Williams, who is a member and organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Move. For me, uh, uh, Brother Africa. A revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And Father and Brother Anthony, we now will bring you Brother Moses, who is a member and organizer for the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We'd like to welcome Brother Moses to Africa of the Moon. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. Uh, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. Uh, I'm one of deal with the burning issue of the hour, which is the Palestinian question, and which is, in essence, the God question, and which is, in essence, essentially Christianity versus Trotskyism. After much consideration, I have decided to criticize the trend within the working class movement for justice and peace. The Zionists deny the truth of Jesus' teachings on internationalism, and against the restoration of Israel as advocated by the Zionists of his day. True, many Trotskyites are anti-Zionists in the political struggle, yet ideologically they have not thoroughly broken with the Jewish traditions. This is manifest in the anarchy of production of childbirth. The most important decision morally one makes is when and under what conditions one should father or mother another human. Christianity is about defense of the fatherland, i.e. the mother consciously declares who is the father of her child. Like Karl Marx and so many others, the children are labeled with the name of their father. This may seem like a small matter, but communism is a godless ideology and has no morality, only ethics. Professional revolutionaries are concerned with getting the job done, and this is the compass by which behavior is judged. V.I. Lennon pointed out that morality belonged to the future of religion. Marx proclaimed religion to be the opiate of the masses. 
The materialist knows only human behavior, and there is no God. Jesus lived at a time when answering the God question was vital to human progress. Without a vision, the people perish. Without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. Jesus tackled the issues and reconciled humans and God. Quote, I am the way, the truth, and the light, unquote. Wise people recognize the correctness of this position for it has meaning, especially for the Palestinian people. As Chairman Mao pointed out, the critical contradiction for the international movement of the working class is the national liberation struggle versus imperialism and not the imperialism versus the socialist camp. History has proven the correctness of this view. Trotskyism is the ideology threatening the advancement of the communist movement. Interestingly, the greatest defenders of socialism everywhere except where it exists have now generally accepted the existence of socialism, and there is less talk of socialism can't exist in one country. There's deformed workers' states and other, other petty bourgeois ideologies. The attack on J.B. Stalin and Mao Zedong are a direct, direct result of Trotskyism and plays a critical role in the collapse of the Soviet Union. I maintain there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that for government, Mao is his messenger. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, we now will bring you Sister Alador, who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We'd like to welcome Sister Alador to Africa on the Moon. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience in the United States of America and abroad. Um, I just want to thank you for having me on today's show. And uh, we continue to see the devastation of the environment and the numbers growing in the environmental refugees. Thank you for having me on the show today, Brother Africa. That's it. Thank you for being thank you for being here, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time what we're gonna do on Africa on the move is we're gonna take a revolutionary culture break and when we return we're going to have a discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. You, the listening audience, if you'd like to participate, please dial in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. This is Africa on the Move.
That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and love. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay, one nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that have, that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Just bombed an African country like... 
Mama didn't say shoot. The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine, 
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move on the 8th day of October, 2023. Now, theme tonight is Tools of Oppression by the West. But before we get to the discussion, we're going to make our transition at this point in time and encourage you to join us by calling 323-679-0841 and share with us what's going on in your world and your community. At this point in time, we know there are so many things going on. We're going to start off with Brother Haki and the remaining of our political analysts. Tonight, they're going to stand in seat and they're going to take the heat. Because as they can find it, they're going to stand behind it. Brother Haki, kick the ballistics. What's going on in your world and the community? Are you there, Brother Haki? Yeah, you here? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, uh, brother, it's yes, been a, it's, it's been a it's been a couple of good weeks uh, here lately. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, you know, when those uh, eight um, Republicans joined with those with all the Democrats to remove McCarthy as uh, House Speaker, that was very interesting. For the first time in a long time, these Republicans actually began to disparage one another. Uh, they essentially called those guy Matt Gates. They called him the dumbest politician they'd ever known, at least the dumbest Democrat Republican politician they'd ever known. So I thought that was very extraordinary. I think the reason why they called him dumb was, you know, for strategic reasons. I think one of the things that in terms of having McCarthy as the House Speaker, one of the things we're able to achieve is create the perception that, in fact, that um, McCarthy was more moderate than the far-right Republicans in that regard. It made it easier to sneak past various bills with budgets in terms of an interest, you know, of the Republican Party. And so what, what that means is with McCarthy gone, it means that the ability in terms of providing that cover no longer exists. And they're very angry about that at these eight Republicans, you know, who, 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 who sided with the Democrats to get rid of McCarthy. So I thought that was very, very interesting. But in the context in terms of the overall good, uh, that those eight Republicans did, you know, for the commun- for the citizens of this country, and for the world, it's remarkable. I mean, one of the things when we talk about the the the, 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 the viciousness that is so much a part of of the Republican platform, when we think about you know uh, the ability, their their desire actually to eliminate social spending, you know, for the poorest citizens in the country. When we think about it, when we think about a situation where they where they're willing to literally. Uh, um, force, you know, to, to, to ensure wages continue to decline, even though decline those wages are detrimental to the economy overall. But nonetheless, the hatred is so strong for that they're willing to do any kind of suffering as long as poor people suffer more. So I thought it was very interesting, you know, um, you know for those eight, you know, to simply dismiss you know, the strategic benefits in terms of having somebody like McCarthy in positions of power. But I'm glad they did. So now the world, the citizens of this country can breathe a sigh of relief. The only problem is that in the, in the, the person who replaced them, whether we're talking about um, um, Jordan or, or Bobbitt uh, or Marjorie Taylor, Greene, Marjorie Taylor Greene, if we're talking about one of those three as, as a leading contenders you know, for, the, for, the, for, the, you know, for, for that position, uh, clearly we, we really, have to, you know, really have to understand that if one of those three do come to positions of power, and if we think that uh, the, the, the Republicans are vicious now, 
wait till these people get in, when those individuals get in power, then you're really going to show you something. So clearly, you know, uh, you know, we should enjoy, you know, this reprieve while we can, because the bottom line is pretty soon they're going to replace him, and the reality is that they're going to replace him with somebody who's much more, much more far right uh, than uh, McCarthy was. And so clearly, you know, uh, we should stay, we should stay attuned, stay abreast in terms of potential changes that are going to occur once these other, these other potential people come to positions of power. And with that, I close. Thank you, Brother Haki. We next make our transition to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Anthony. Okay. Um, well, uh, as, uh, as imperialism gets more oppressive, resistance to in, in imperialism is uh, spreading and is intensifying. Um, one example of that is that um, is that the Palestinians, um, you know, uh, imprisoned in Gaza, uh, mounted an attack against Zionist forces in uh, Palestine. Uh, and they uh, and uh, and the thing about uh, and uh, the significance of that is that the designers thought that they had uh, built an impen uh, an impenetrable an impenetrable wall, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, against the Palestinians. But uh, let's see. But uh, the Palestinians showed. Uh, that um, that uh, you know no uh, no uh, no prison uh, you know uh, uh, you know lockdown can can cannot be o- overcome and um, and I thought the uh, the Palestinians showed resistance even though that that they were met with uh, severe political repression, which is useful of the Zionist response. Um, but uh, that shows that resistance against imperialism is raging everywhere in the world, even inside capitalist countries, such as the U.S., uh, uh, France, and Britain. And, um, you know, and uh, it gives hope for the future that if the people organize, they can uh, eventually defeat imperialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next is Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Moses? Well, the whole world is watching and uh Palestine will be free. It's just a matter of time. Because um, uh, the, the world's people are on the side of the Palestinian. God is on the side of the Palestinian. Justice is on the side of the Palestinian. Peace is on the side of the Palestinian. And so the contradictions are all there, and we must be on the correct side of the issue. Meanwhile, um, here... We're still trying to pursue a united front against fascism, represented by the 
Republican Party at this point. Uh, but reflect on hockey's with uh, hockey was saying there is a, some kind of uh, one step forward um, when eight it was these Republicans voted with the Democrats. Um, just those some kind of heart of some sort of some sort of compassion uh, somewhere in there. Um, uh, there's a flicker of hope. But you know we have to bank ourselves on on class struggle and un- uniting the many to defeat the few. We have to have our own agenda, our own proactive uh, ideology, um, and um, we have to to get organized as. as Brother Anthony is so fond of saying we have to be organized. Our problem is organization. And so, you know, each one teach one. And, um, you know, it's, it's all starts in the consciousness. And uh, education is the key at this point. And so I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, it's been a very active week. Um, uh, Senator Feinstein's passing has allowed the appointment of an African-American woman to that seat uh, for the remainder of Senator Feinstein's uh, uh, term. And that's an exciting thing. We see that the, uh, as everyone has said, the Israelis continue to uh, commit genocide against the Palestinian people. We see that uh, the wall and the strict vis- uh, the, the walls that separate families from families and um, the visiting restrictions that families run into uh, in Palestine today. Um, um, So we see that uh, a first or second cousin may never be able to visit you. It's an incredible genocide. So we see that happening. But and we continue to see growth in the numbers of environmental refugees walking their way out of Africa due to the drought. So that's what I've been looking at, and and the future is bright. Great things are happening, and we just need to. Organizes Brother Anthony and Brother Ike always say, and uh, we'll see great things happen. This is an election year. So one of the things we should do is make sure we uh, register as many people as possible to vote. 
register them to vote. Thank you. Thank you, Sister North. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We are discussing what's going on in your world and the community. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick um, culture break and we come back. Panelists, I just would like to have y'all to think about, as we discuss the current events, to think about the possibility or the intensification of the struggle in Palestine and what that may mean to the rest of the world as it relates to the possibility of having Iran become part of this confrontation that the wall may create be created as a as a as a illusion from the West of being one of the major corporate of what has just recently taken place in terms of the dynamics that's going on. If this Complications going on in Palestine spread to uh, a battle with Iran. How would y'all think that would impact the rest of the world today, particularly Africa and African people? Think about that, and when we come back, let's have that discussion. You are listening to Africa on the Move. Or 
I've been wondering what's been going on I've been here before but I don't remember when And every time we get to where we're entering I feel my beliefs and hope surrendering But I know I'll be coming home soon Yes, I know I'll be coming home soon Cause like the enemies that we are battling I am nothing but a human alien Left with nothing else but to keep wandering Down this path while stopping my hands trembling Because I know That I'll be coming home soon And yes I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye with a soldier's eyes I've seen inside the devil's dreams where young men die And graveyards open up their arms for mothers left to cry I have seen the bleeding and I hear what we've done But just like every other fool here I'll keep marching on Because I know that I'll be coming home soon and yes, I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye I'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. As we continue our discussion on what's going on in your world and the community, I ask my particular panelists and analysts to think about the intensification of the struggle in Palestine today, what it means to expand it into other regions and areas, such as recently one of the narratives is that the uh, projecting that Iran may have been one of the major corporate behind this intensification of the struggle. And you may see extension of this wall leads into confrontations with the West in terms of wanting to attack Iran. If that happened, what do y'all think may would be some of the impact on the rest of the world, particularly Africa, the African people? You know, one of the things that the Walmongers do is that they create walls so there can be another redistribution of wealth to them. But panelists, I just wondering, in terms of this escalation, if it leads to a wild area of fighting and they try to draw a van in it or decide to attack a van, 
which should be some of the things that maybe uh, need to be um, expecting in terms of its impact on us, Africa, African people, and the rest of the world. Just your general thought on that possibility, Brother Haki. Well, I, I think, you know, Brother Africa, you know, the bottom line is that the desire, you know, of the West, particularly the United States, to militarily intervene in Iran is no, in Iran is no secret. Uh, they very much nothing better than to justify uh, military intervening in Iran. I think this notion in terms of the speculation being posed by the United States that Iran po- possibly was behind the, uh, the, uh, the Hamas uh, freedom fighters uh, killing some Zionists in the, in the regime of Israel, uh, I think when they make those kind of accusations, I think it's headed toward the direction in terms of justifying you know, attacking Iran under the guise that Iran is a terrorist nation. So we shouldn't be surprised at all. But the implications in terms of, particularly when it comes to Africa, I think one of the things is that's, 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 that's very, very telling. I think over, the, you know, over certainly over the last, uh, last couple of months, uh, President Raisi, um, out of uh, out of um, Iran, has been doing extensive travel throughout Africa, for the sole purpose in terms of, you know, uh, formatting trade. Iran always had tremendous trade with, with, with South Africa, but it's also trying to extend the level of trade, you know, with other African states. So in that regard, Africa it becomes a beneficiary beneficiary of trade, you know, from Iran. So if the United States were to bomb, were to attack Iran, it's going to it's going to intimately impact uh, Africa's ability, or at least in terms of undermine Africa's economy because it loses a, a potential trading partner. So I think that's the real risk in terms of them, um, you know, uh, intervening, you know, in, in Iran. Now, I think in terms of just generally, when you talk about that particular region, in terms of, there's no question, it's going to form in a great deal of instability in terms, in terms of the Middle East, in terms of that particular region. Uh, but the thing is that I think that, you know, uh, it, I think to the extent that it, it, that instability would help U.S. foreign policy can't be discounted. I think one of the things you talk about the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia even though that relationship is somewhat unstable at this point, the bottom line is that the potential in terms of, you know, uh, both sides using one another in terms of economic gain is so strong. It sort of overcomes, overwhelms, you know, any kind of political differences that the two countries may have. So to the extent that instability exists, I think it's good because of what it does is strengthen the hands of Saudi Arabia and by, and by extension strengthen the hand of the United States, of the United States uh, in the West generally. Uh, so I think so. I'm 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 hoping that you know that in fact that if they do military intervene in um, in in Af- in Iraq in Iraq, that other African states, in particular um, Syria, um, 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 Iraq, uh, countries countries like that uh, con- would who certainly understand the kind of problems associated with U.S. military intervention would side with the Iranians in terms of fighting that fight. Because the bottom line is that, you know, one thing is clear, that if USA decides to military intervene in Iran, then we know the Zionist forces in Israel are going to, in fact, uh, participate, you know, in, 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 that, uh, in that intervention. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think the, 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 the downside, uh, you know, of military intervention in Iran is going to disproportionately impact, you know, not just that region, not just Africa, but the world generally in terms of, you know, uh, you know this, 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 this Western drive in terms of, you know, increasing its hegemony to the extent that this increase, this, this desire to increase its hegemony is contributing to overall instability, not only in terms of the lives of people throughout the world, but particularly in terms of econ- the economics or global economies 
uh, you know, that depend on trade in terms of bringing about, you know, bringing about, you know, uh, you know, ability to reach feed and houses people. So I think this kind of instability, while good for America, is devastating for the world at large. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Brother Anthony, you'll take your analysis. <laughs> if this war is widened and there's an attack on Iran, how do you think it may impact Africa, African people, and the rest of the world? Uh, well, let's see. It would, averse, it would adversely affect Africa in terms of uh, trade relations, but also political relationships also could be jeopardized as a result of, uh, you know, imperialism intensifying its presence in uh, in that part of the world. And um, uh, it uh, it should be noted that Biden said that it uh, that it that it sides with uh, with Israel in terms of uh, uh, defense of its uh, of its uh, you know uh, sovereignty and whatnot. And so I think it. Um, you know, I, I think it, it would, uh, it, it, uh, you know, uh, imper- an intensification of imperialist intervention in that region, in that region, would have uh, disastrous consequences, not only for uh, for Africans at home, but also Africans in the diaspora as well, especially the U.S. Since uh, you know. Um, you know, uh, you know the 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 the, the U.S. Uh, depends heavily upon uh, you know uh, you know labor of uh, you know Europeans and, and Africans uh, to staff its military. So um, you know, I I I I think it would have. Um, you know would have serious consequences for African, Africa, and Africans. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, your take on the widening of the wall. What implication may have on Africa and the rest of the world? First of all, we have to struggle. We have to organize. We have to get in here. And the tit for tat struggle against fascism and the movement for fascist movement, which is the war movement, the military industrial complex, which is the dead, decaying capitalist system, and which is trying to prop itself up in, even though it's dying. And so we have to organize to stop the expansion of capitalism in order to try to keep itself alive. Um, by going to another war, and uh, um, we have Israel and we have Ukraine, and that's enough war for anybody right now. And uh, we need to get the, get the budget where we're not funding them, and uh, you know we need the support, the movement of, that um, Cornell West represents. Um, he makes sense to me. The nonsense of the Biden and Trump 
doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, so, you know, we we need to build a movement. It's not about the individual. It's about the plan and how they fit into the plan and whether we should be supporting the plan or not. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, um, I'm determined that, you know, we're in the heart of the beast and that we we have a responsibility to stop the beast from going to another war and that we have to join forces and get into the streets and get into the halls of Congress and get and get to wherever we can get to spread the word that, you know, no more war, no more war, stop funding Ukraine, stop funding Israel. Thank you. Well, Brother Moses, you said it's about the plan and not the man, huh? All right, let's move forward. Sister Eleanor, your thoughts on this issue. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. I think we have lost our sister, but what we're going to do right now, let's go into our discussion tonight as we talk about the theme, Tools of Oppression by the West. That's right, tools of oppression by the West. As you know, when you look at history, there are many tools that the West has used and continue to use to oppress nations and people. We're just going to talk about a few of them. Uh, I guess you raise your consciousness, and if you'd like to join in the discussion, you're welcome. by calling in at 323-679-0841. There's an article called Five Eyes Alliance. Five Eyes Alliance, and it talks about uh, this whole question of how the very tools that the West use in order to maintain its power and its control. What I just can do in general is I think that um, I'll ask my political panelists and analysts when we talk about these uh, this article called Five Eyes Alliance, Alliance, the fundamental issue they raised was what, when it comes to your interpretation of the hockey rule, were the fundamental issues that were raised from this particular article, which I thought would be interesting in terms of all of the so-called privacy and freedom to communicate. Your response in terms of the article from your perspective, Brother Hackey, the fundamental issues that were raised in this article, Five Eyes Alliance. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Yeah, I, I think the, the I think the primary um astonishment in terms of reading this particular article, when we talk about the Five Eyes Alliance, it's this notion that, you know, a lot of us in the US like to believe that in fact that this is a is a is a government of laws. Uh in fact that's not that's not the truth at all. In fact the the origin of five lines Five Eyes Alliance has much to do in terms of circumventing, you know, um, um, uh, national law for the sole purpose of being able to to more effectively spy on the citizens. But more importantly, it doesn't just spy on just the citizens; it spies on corporations, tech, tech, technology corporations, media corporations, spies on individuals, entertainers. It spies on everybody. It's very very interesting. Now, this organization got started in 1946. And what is interesting is about that shortly after 1946, Canada became, you know, a part of the uh, Five Eyes Alliance. At that point, it was only three eyes. But by 1955, they added two additional members to the to the 
to the organization Australia and New Zealand. And so that gives us the Five I Alliance. And so it's, in, so it's interesting in terms of, you know, when we talk about national law, we talk about people desire in terms of autonomy over their own lives. When we think about the government's uh, propensity to actually spy on the citizens, uh, we have one of the ways in which you circumvent that to get around those, those laws that are passed or those constitutional requirements that exist in society is to have other states do the spying for you. So as an example, you have the Five I Alliance. So you have a situation where the U.S., it does spy on the citizens, but it doesn't have to spy on the citizens. It also can use the U.K., it can use Australia or Canada to spy on U.S. citizens. And they keep a dossier on, on individuals, on organizations, on groups, so forth and so on. So it's very interesting. So as a rule, this particular Five, I, Five Eyes Alliance, uh, it, state, it stipulates in terms of its constitution that you must have a minimum of two other states spy on your, on your country to, have, to get adequate amount of, 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 of intelligence or adequate amount of information on people who live in that particular, in that particular society. So clearly, you know, you know, when when Edward, Edward Snowden talks about the fact the the, the origin of the, of the five the um, the five eyes alliance, you know, one of the things that he didn't mention was that, you know, when you talk about the five the, the five eyes alliance, and you know, when you talk about the principle in terms of committing war atrocities throughout the world, it's very very interesting that five eyes alliance play a big part in terms of facilitation of war, and that is possible because the five eyes not only collects intelligence. We can then use that intelligence for propaganda purposes to more effectively propagandize or to fool or deceive the masses of people in the country to 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 to, to bring about a war. For instance, we talk about you know for just we talk about Vietnam War, we talk about the Falklands War, we talk about the Gulf War, uh, we you know we talk about you know this you know we we talk about all these wars that conveniently came about, even though these wars part and parcel was a result of erroneous information. But the mere fact that the five eyes have access to inside information, they can craft a craft a, a narrative which is so convincing based upon the information they obtain that it literally does a very good job in terms of whitewashing or deceiving people in terms of what the truth is. And this is one of the real dangers in terms of the five eye alliance. I think also when you, when you talk about in terms of the propensity in terms of assassinating people, I think one of the things we have to understand that with that kind of information comes tremendous power. And because we're talking about a Western nation that's in decline, and in fact what they want to do is to enhance or sustain that, 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 their, their autonomy, well, not their autonomy, but they want to sustain, sustain their control. And the only way they can sustain their control is to perceive everything and everyone as a potential threat. And as a consequence, when we talk about political leaders around the world, whether we talk about Mossadegh of Iran, I mean, of, 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 of Iran or whether we talk about Patrice Lamont of the Congo, or we talk about Salvador Allende of uh, Chile. These people rep- represent the cost, a, a existential threat to the United States, uh, to the United States or the global imperialist system, or the West imperialist system. And so, therefore, as a consequence, these people had to be assassinated. They had to be eliminated. And all of this in part because of the power of the Five Eyes Alliance. So people should understand that when you talk about the Five Eyes Alliance, you talk about these groups working collectively together. Keep in mind, I should add this in, it's not just these particular five. They also got four additional countries, Scandinavian countries in particular, including Germany, who are also uh, part of this, this, this organization uh, or this coalition, uh, which are not officially part of the five eyes, but nonetheless 
also engage in intellect, um, intelligence sharing, you know, with these five particular states. Uh, so clearly people should understand the implicit threat in terms of the Five I Alliance. And the mere fact they were able to organize since 1946 and to evolve at such a point where they literally can spy on billions of people at a time, the mere fact they can do that, we should understand that none of us are free. This is what we fundamentally have to understand in terms of the Five I Alliance. And I'll say this and I conclude. I think when we talk about in terms of implicit threat in terms of, you know, uh, that, face, that, that human beings are faced when it comes to the Five I Alliance, we got to understand that the possibility in terms of justice, harmony, uh, equality, those things become an impossibility as long as this organization has the capabilities in terms of crafting propaganda solely for the purpose in terms of deception. As long as they can do that, they can continue to pit people against each other so you have a situation where people actually fight each other and not fight the real enemy. As long as they have the ability to do that, then the bottom line is that the kind of paradigm, the kind of world we all like to see is an impossibility. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Aki. Before I come to Anthony, let me just give the people a general textbook definition of what the Five Eyes Alliance is. It says from this article that it's, it is a cooperative intelligence network that monitors the electronic communications of citizens and foreign governments. The network of Anglophone countries includes the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Those are the five, as Brother Haki stated earlier, as we continue to discuss this, there will be more countries added to it, but those five are the major ones on the foundation of this creation. So, Brother Anthony, in terms of your perspective for reading this article, what were some of the major um, issues that you gathered from this particular article? Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Uh, certainly. Um, uh, one uh, thing, uh, 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 things I gathered from reading this article is that um, – is that all the countries involved used to be part of the British Empire or, or were or are parts of the British Empire, except for the with the accession of the U.S. Um, and uh, you know, and uh, it's interesting how um, you know uh, the uh, the intelligence forces of imperialism uh come together work together even though uh even though they're rivals they are uh they are of one accord when it comes to suppressing uh the socialist movement and the organization of workers and um you know and that is what they um and uh that's what they're about they try they they try to you know uh uh you know intensify divisions and exploit differences among people and to sow division and uh this prevents uh the working class from unifying as it should around common issues 
like uh, a, a uh, imperialist exploitation, for example. And um, you know, and this is um, and this is uh, this alliance is a threat uh, to, uh, to to freedom uh, the freedom of people throughout the world. Uh, particularly in those imperialist countries where they're concentrated, and uh, and uh, you know this shows that, that this shows that it is important for 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 workers to organize because only organization can defeat an enemy such as this. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, one of the things this article raised from my perspective is this illusion of privacy. It tells people that they have privacy when it comes to communication, particularly electronic communication. But this particular entity monitors over billions of people, communications network. Worldwide. So, when you speak to the issue of privacy, what do you think about this issue of privacy? Is that something of an illusion that they're trying to sell us to make it true? Because based on this evidence, it seems like there's no such thing as privacy. Joe's general response to this issue of privacy and how this network functions. Brother Moses. Yes, with the raising of the Pan African office, you know, recently. Um, um, there's been so much going on over the years that it's impossible to talk about privacy and not recognize the repression that's going on. Um, Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, um, exposed, exposed secrets. Julian Assange exposed secrets. Eric Snowden with exposed secrets. Um, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Wall with exposed secrets. Um, I think you know we we don't we we don't have any illusions if you're paying attention that there's any kind of privacy. But we we should, we must we must not be afraid. We must not have false false evidence appear real for fear. Um, we are we we must struggle and unite together and uh, and communicate with each other and not and not let the the fear and the repression and the lies overcome us. We must be able to know each other and and that's and know each other and and um, and uh, know what. Once we know each other, we know. When we can know when someone's lying, basically, uh, because we know the person and uh, we know their character. Uh, but you know that's why Kwame Ture formed the Black United Front, for, for just because there was so much disinformation and and uh, and uh, miscommunication and and uh, all kinds of quarrels breaking out because uh, the enemy was sowing seeds of discord and the black united front was a communications network basically um and uh but anyway we um 
we must keep organizing and know that the people united will never be defeated. And yes, they are responding on us. Yes, they're doing everything they can. But we must not be afraid. We must be open and above board and not intriguing and conspiring. But And let's, let's get the job done. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your response. And to Brother Haki, I'm going to read this paragraph from this article, Brother Haki. You spoke upon it earlier, but I'd like for you to further expand upon it. Because we need to talk, know about tools of oppression. This is what we did on tonight. We're talking about the various tools of oppression, what it is, who they are, and to understand that environment in which we function in on a daily basis as one continues to struggle for their liberation. It talks about how it collects information by intercepting private communications such as telephone calls, taxes, emails, and text messages from infrastructure such as satellites, telephone network, fiber optic cables, and it also receives records of user data from large technology companies, including Microsoft, YouTube, Google, Facebook, YouTube, AOL, Skype, Apple, I mean, you name it. These are the various tools and instruments that they use uh, as a means to um, buy on people and to find out what's going on. Understanding that reality, Brother Haki, how do you just how we go about our daily lives as we begin to and continue to organize towards our liberation? How do you deal with that reality? How do you come to act that? Well, I think I think Moses, Brother Moses, uh, sort of, uh, you know, hinted at what our response should be. I think the reality is that since we understand that these electronic communications are are are, are tapped, that we understand that this question in terms of you know freedom of expression, freedom of information, freedom of whatever, we understand is all a facade. In fact, that uh, they have a total lock in terms of, you know, their ability in terms of, you know, monitoring what we do and what we say. So given that reality, I think one of the things we, we have to understand, that a desire to be free has to be so strong that in spite of what they're doing, that we have to do what we have to do. And, you know, and so we can't be concerned about our names ending up on somebody's file or some dossier being created because, you know, of, of, of us or, you know, or intimidate us to the, to the, to the extent that we're willing to be complicitous or to acquiesce in our own oppression because we feel it pleases those conditions of power. And in doing so, we think that when we when we do the power that we want us to do, that we're safe. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the, bottom line, the bottom line is that we're all an existential threat to the powers that be. Uh, as the brother alluded to, one of the things we talk about, the uh, deterioration or the decline of global capitalism, then you've got to understand that they understand that their back's against the wall. And in that context, then we have to understand that we all we all are an an existential threat, existential threat, you know, to the powers that be, in in particular in terms of the Western world. We have to fundamentally understand that, and it doesn't mean that we back up in terms of our pursuit in terms of bringing about a different paradigm. It means we have to also elevate, and then it doesn't mean that given the reality that they have these these technologies in place to spy on us, it doesn't mean that they can intervene and prevent these certain kind of communications. 
they're also stand, they're, they're always communicating, which becomes more difficult for them to intercede. In particular, when you talk about things like uh, things like newspapers, or when you talk about things like inviting people to speak on issues, those kind of things become exceptionally more difficult for them to intervene in terms of preventing. So we do have various technologies that are available in terms of getting the word out. But first and foremost, we have to understand, you know, that well, you know that we can't succumb to the fear. It's okay to be scared, but you can't succumb to the fear. You know, it's just like anything, like any challenge. You know, you may be afraid, but you do it because it's necessary that you do it. When you're confronted about with a bully, you know, you may be afraid. He might, the bully might be bigger than you are, but you don't, you don't back down simply because they're bigger. You understand that you got to do what you got to do because in order for you to be truly uh, a, a human being then you got to start, you got to fight for your autonomy. So that's worth fighting for. So it seems to me, uh, you know, and one thing I think also, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, when we talk about in terms of the electronic, you know, eavesdropping or just, you know, stealing, you know, electronic, you know, uh, correspondence, we also keep in mind that if you learned it not too long ago, back in the 80s, there was the operation of Project um, uh, Echelon, okay? Echelon, the system was for that. Echelon came along at a time in which people would adamantly oppose to the idea that the U.S. government could just, you know, tap in, you know, to their communications and get, you know, these, these records of, in terms of what they're saying, what they're doing, who they're talking to. Well, Operation Echelon was all, Project Echelon was all about making sure that not only that you, 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 you engage people in a particular state, you know, you know who are engaging in communications, but you also want to catch who they're communicating with. So in addition to that, then you, you're communicating what they're talking about. And so clearly, you know, so this, this long history, this long sort of history in terms of spying on our people, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to debate. It's not, it's not going to get better. It's, it's not going to happen. We're going to understand that because capitalism is in decline, that they're going to do more of this, not less. And the bottom line is if we really think that we appeal, you know, to, 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 to morality or we, or we appeal to constitutional mandate, that if we really think that our appeal to those things are going to fundamentally change business as usual, then I think we're sadly mistaken. We got to understand that this kind of electronic eavesdropping is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Like I said before, when you can, when you literally can follow billions of people at a time, then I mean, literally, no one is safe in terms of having their correspondence intercepted. That's just a sad reality. I think we have to live with that reality and understand that, despite that. We have to do what we got to do in terms of creating a new paradigm in this in this world. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Brother Anthony, um, just to add other countries as a third party to this entity, those countries were Canada, Norway, Denmark, West Germany. And with this addition, Brother Anthony, I'm just wondering in terms of um this whole question of just this whole question of when we talk about tools of oppression and we say they use this information for anything they see that will suit their interests and help them to attain their domination, nothing is off the table. One of the things we didn't add to the list that we were adding earlier, I'd just like to share with our listening audience, and Brother Anthony didn't shine in on this, is that so the Chiefs Lumumba assassination was a part of this part of this mechanism. Uh, this whole question of the overthrow of the Chile president Salvador Allende, you know, 
This whole uprising in Tiananmen Square, the protests that took place in China, the war on terror, all these things are, are results of how they use this, this particular tool to create this, this confusion. But just in general, panelists, before we move on to our next area of tools of oppression by the West that we will discuss, which will be the UN, are there anything else you would like to say before we close out, Brother Anthony? Um, I would uh, add that in addition, uh, entertainment is also used as a tool. Uh, and in, in other words, uh, you know, uh, information, uh, you know, uh, the media. As a matter of fact, there were uh, there were there were a few entertainers in that list of uh, pe- uh, 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 people that the Five Eyes were ga- gathering intelligence on. Including people just as uh, Jane Fonda, and uh, you know, and uh, and the numerous other entertainers, and that is because of their uh, probably because of their political stances. So um, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, and what the, and what uh, what the purpose of this is. Is to is to stop resistance to oppression, and uh, so you uh, 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 people can be persecuted and spied on for any number of reasons, and uh, you know, and uh, when uh, when you uh, when you resist your oppression, that 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 comes with the territory. You're gonna be targeted. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, any final thoughts you would like to share with this audience on this particular subject? Well, I just want to reiterate that the people united will never be defeated, you know, regardless of what kind of technology they come up with uh, in terms of uh, using, you know, the um, the, the Palestinians just... Uh, made a quote surprise attack on on Israel. Um so the people united will never be defeated. I mean if if they if they were so intelligent they would have known about the attack in advance. It wouldn't have been a surprise. And so so, you know, the people people have a Spontaneously gravitate towards socialism, but we we must use it as a science and study and um, and 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 govern ourselves accordingly, according to the information and knowledge we gain through other learning about other people's experiences, and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. But there is a revolutionary theory out there. And you know certainly Kwame Ture, Secretary, and uh, Nkrumah, Kwame Nkrumah theories are out there, and people all they have to do is study, 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 and turn themselves into communists. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Let's make 
uh, transition to another tool of oppression by the West that has been greatly used to dominate and shape the current reality of this world. That tool is the United Nations. There's an interesting article or an interesting YouTube documentary we would like to encourage the audience to go and check out that is titled, Why UN is Labeled Most Unfair by Ghana President and how he has exposed it. Check that out, and for tonight, we'd like to have at least some discussion in terms of this question as related to our theme, Tools of Oppression by the West. In this case, we now we want to critique the United Nations. Brother Haki, from your perspective, how has the UN been used as a tool for the West? Brother Haki. Yeah, yeah, Brother Africa. To answer that question, let us start with the structure of, 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 the, of the UN, in particular the Security Council. Now, Security Council is key because they're the individuals who determine, you know, um, uh, uh, political and or military actions throughout the world based upon the circumstances. And the Security Council consists, consists of 15 members, but here's the deal. Only five of those members are permanent. The rest, the other 10, are only temporary. The five countries that are permanent are U.S., U.K., France, Russia, and China. And here's the thing. These countries have veto power, so they can unilaterally decide if military action is going to happen or not. They can literally kill it simply by voting no. So that's a tremendous amount of power, you know, for these, just these five, for these five states. Uh, but more importantly, though, you know, when you talk about the kind of abuse that the U.N. suffers, you know, we, there are two instances, that come to, two instances that come to mind in terms of, you know, uh, military actions and wars uh, that, were, that were not only unfair, uh, but were calculated sole purpose in terms of destruction of another state. Particularly, I'm talking about, the first I'm talking specifically about the Iraqi war, or the so-called Iraqi freedom. Now, this interesting about this war, uh, Brother Africa, is that the Security Council in particular, um, the, uh, the countries of Russia, China, and France, opposed any type of military intervention. Their position was that this so-called weapons of mass destruction in, in Iraq certainly didn't exist, and that more discussion was needed in terms of clarifying and specifically what was going on. Uh, even though everyone knew it was a lie, the U.S. and U.S. took upon themselves to military intervene in Iraq. And as Donald Rumsfeld used to say, the whole idea in terms of the, the destruction of Iraq was not because of the weapons of mass destruction, but because Iraq posed a real danger in terms of, you know, dropping the dollar as, 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 current, as currency for trade. Uh, and what is interesting about this, Brother Africa, I think, you know, when, you know, when, they, when, they, when, they, when they attack Iraq, uh, you know, when they talk about this, 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 this notion in terms of weapons of mass destruction, okay, now they have people like Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell, you know, go to the U.N. and say to the U.N. and say to the world body, listen, that Iraq is in possession of these weapons of mass destruction and they are threatening the world. Now, even though they both knew that this was, this was a lie, even, Con, uh, even Colin Powell admitted prior to his death that it was a lie. They knew it was a lie, but they felt that was their, their obligation to lie and to justify U.S. military intervention in Iraq. As far as, you know, uh, bombing you know, Af um, uh, Iraq to the Stone Age, Rumsfeld was right. America was very successful in terms of literally bombing Iraq back to the Stone Age. Now, the second example in terms of the kind of abuse of the U.N. involves the, the Libya. 
Now, here's the thing, that they attacked Muammar Gaddafi supposedly for being a dictator. <laughs> That's what they say. But the reality is that Muammar Gaddafi, this attack of Muammar Gaddafi had less to do in terms of politics. It had more to do in terms of uh, Muammar Gaddafi's uh, desire to introduce a currency backed by gold in which it challenged the role of the dollar. Also, he wanted to uh, create a, the first central bank of Africa. Those things constitute an a, a, a existential threat you know, to imperialism, and so therefore he had to go. And also there were some tangible benefits in terms of military intervention by the West, and particularly the United States. Libya had large oil reserves. It also has large aquifer of fresh water. And keep in mind that water in the, in the, in the, 20, in the 21st century will become an issue at some point simply because the U.S. and Western states refuse to invest in desalinization programs. And so, therefore, fresh water becomes extremely important and extremely profitable for people in the West. And so, therefore, they got a vested interest in not investing in technology to, to, uh, to, 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 to change salt water to fresh water because the profit is simply too great. And Libya has a tremendous amount of freshwater aquifers. And so those are the reasons why they really attack, attack Libya. Now, one of the things when we talk about, you know, the U.N. and we talk about its peacekeeping role, I think one of the things that the whole idea, according to the so-called officials of the U.N., they're doing it uh, supposedly, they mutually intervene to create, bring stability to the country. Of course, the, the stability that comes to the country never seems to manifest. And, and on the contrary, a great deal of instability seems to manifest. And that's all by design, even though they persist in telling the world this is all about stability. Now, just to give you an example in terms of hypocrisy, you know, when we talk about the constitutional principles that guide peacekeepers, keep in mind there are three essential components. One is consent of parties. In other words, the political leaders have to consent to allow those people into their country. Clearly, um, they do. They, they, and a lot of times these are puppets of the West, and so they gladly consent to allow the U.S. and other Western states to, to intervene along with other uh, states under the, under the auspices of the United States to military intervene. Secondly, impartiality. They're supposed to be impartial. They are there to impose stability and nothing else. Of course, we know that's, that's BS. Also, here's the third, third principle. There are no killing unless for self-defense or carrying out their mission. That is a very ironic kind of statement because the whole thing is that if you're talking about self-defense and carrying out your mission, the two are, seems to me the two are, uh, uh, two are indistinguishable. Self-defense should have nothing to do with carrying out your mission. If, in fact, that you're under attack for legitimate reasons, uh, then it's, you make the claim that a self-defense becomes, becomes somewhat, somewhat, uh, somewhat distorted. Uh, but we, certainly when you talk about carrying out your mission, then clearly that becomes clear that you already have an idea in mind in terms of what you're trying to achieve. That's how you carry out your mission. You can't carry out your mission unless you're clear on what it is that you're trying to achieve. And so the kind of deception that they employ in terms of these peacekeeper opera- peacekeeping operations, I mean, uh, is, 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 is unfortunate, but is devastating to the world at large. Now, we're talking about, when we talk about these peacekeepers, we're talking about 125 countries with over 85,000 soldiers. Here's the rub, Brother Africa. These peacekeepers mostly consist of poor states. That is interesting. Now, why does the West use poor states primarily for the peacekeepers? Well, one, they're expandable. Secondly, uh, they can provide cover for Western motives. Uh, and that is interesting. And also, and more importantly, Brother Africa, these poor states uh, who participate in these peacekeeping missions are recipient, a large recipient of Western aids. And in, 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 in Asia, the biggest recipient of, of, of Western aid is Bangladesh. 
In Africa, the biggest recipient of aid, Western aid in Africa, is Egypt, which is $184 billion, just as of 2022. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, you know, when we talk about in terms of UN being a, a, a puppet, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, legitimizing, you know, these, 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 these wicked uh, 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 projects, that's precisely what they're doing. They're just a front, and I'm glad that increasingly presidents of Ghana, uh, presidents uh, in other African states are standing up and saying that, listen, this farce has to come to an end. We understand that you, the UN is not, is not somehow uh, autonomous. We understand that it's ver- the, the strings are very much pulled by, the Western, by Western states. Western states determine their interests. They go in after countries in which threaten their interests, while countries that are legitimately need some kind of stability, uh, countries that are, fr- that are friendly to the United States who engage in all kinds of atrocities, never seem to be uh, occupied by peacekeepers. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, you know, the U.N. is a puppet, and there's no other way of getting around that, not close to that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, was the president going to write when he accused the U.N. as being unable to influence the events in Ukraine? And I would like to add, but at the same time, they are definitely intervening and influencing the events in Haiti. Your response, Brother Anthony? Uh, yeah, uh, I think um, uh, Haki's points are correct, and uh, Haiti is a, is a perfect example of the hypocrisy of the UN, and the fact that the UN is dominated by by the powers of imperialism, and uh, and uh, you know, and the fact that. Uh, Kenya is being used uh, to uh, to oppress the Africans in Haiti. I think it's a telling example, and it's an example of a, a country that is very heavily dependent upon capitalist powers uh, for uh, for its existence. And uh, you know is, is willing to, to do the imperialist country's bidding, and uh, and uh, this is and this uh, and this is cause uh, uh, causing tremendous suffering and uh, repression among Africans in Haiti, and uh, that is why that, that they're saying that the UN must go. Because they uh, they see the UN as a tool of imperialism, and uh, and and there's no uh, more, more more blatant example of that than than uh, than, than that. And uh, and uh, let's see, uh, the only way uh, uh, the UN needs to be restructured. But that, only, uh, that can only become, uh, come about as a result of the, uh, of the people putting pressure on their respective countries uh, to, uh, to end capitalist domination of the UN. But that can only come through the organized work and struggle of the people. And uh, Africa must unite. Uh, because right now, 
the fact that it speaks with 54 voices is a disadvantage. And, uh, you know, only a a unified uh, uh, Africa would be strong enough to stand up to the forces capitalism. Yes, that's a point you made, Brother Anthony, about speaking with 54 voices. It definitely sounds like a, 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 a reality of confusion. Point well taken. Brother Moses, in this video, the President Donald made the observation that young people today see the UN as being anti democratic. And they don't recognize democracy in its reality. Your response to that is that a valid assessment of looking at the behavior you in that it's not a democratic institution and it has no real commitment to democracy. Brother Moses, your thoughts? Well, you know, it's 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 a democratic institution. If you just want to talk about. Um, whether they can vote on different things. Uh, but when you look at analyze what's going on and who's got power, whose will is getting done, it's the U.S. government that runs the, the United Nations from the jump and from the beginning until now. And primarily the Security Council and everything is geared towards getting this will done as smoothly as possible. Um, I think it's a, a disgrace that uh, Russia and China both abstained when it, when, it was, when it came to the invasion of Libya and now when it comes to the invasion of, of uh, Haiti, uh, again, they abstained. And I think that's, that's a disgrace to the movement, and there's something wrong in, with those countries, obviously. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Haki, speak to this phenomenon, this phenomenon of historically Africa has a history of coming to the aid of the West, particularly Europe. The lives of the soldiers from Africa that have gone to Europe for World War One, World War Two, they have gave their lives so Europe could be with you today. Is that a true fact that it seems at this point in time, now in Europe, but many aspects of countries throughout the world owe their debt to Africa? So why Africa can't get the necessary help they need today from those that they have helped in the past? Your response to that phenomenon, Brother Haki? Well, Brother Africa, you know, you 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 raise a question in terms in terms of you know moral you know. Um, a moral dilemma, a moral, uh, a moral dimension, and the things that we have to understand capitalism not in a moral dimension. We have to understand the full, cold, brutal reality in terms of what capitalism is all about. Because capitalism doesn't have a conscience, it doesn't matter that Africa sacrificed for World War One, World War Two, uh, in terms of treasury and lives, and in terms of and you know this atrocious uh, uh, fascism that was sweeping the globe at that point in history. It doesn't matter. The mere fact is, for the West, is as far as Africa's concerned, is what can you do for me now? What have you done for me lately? They're not concerned in terms of the, the historical, uh, the historical 
uh, uh, um, blessings Africa bestowed on the West by participating in its wars. And so in, in that regard, I think because we, we, because we, we, we understand you know, the mindset of, of capitalism, then we can't realistically expect you know, to, to introduce any sense of morality in ter- an equation in terms of being able you know, to discern you know, what is right and what is wrong when it comes to international relationships, particularly when it comes to relationships with Africa. And so, and so, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, for me, I think is very, very sad, you know, is that when you think about in terms of the contributions that Africa have made in terms of trying to create a different paradigm, a better world for all involved, uh, when you think about the fact that, you know, uh, despite the, the desire to see, uh, you know, a better world, because Africa could, if Africa really wanted to, Africa could simply say, listen, we have the resources, we have all that we need, we really don't need anyone else. Uh, they can tell the West, go to hell, you get nothing else from us. And they could do that. Uh, but it, that's not what they're advocating. They're simply saying they're advocating for a fair world. That's all they're advocating for. And the mere fact that they're advocating for, for, for a fair world, and that gets rebuffed by the West, then what does that say in terms of insensitivity? What does that say in terms of racism? What does that say in terms of opportunism? What does that say in terms of the overall character of the West? And, and, and at one point, you know, we, we are optimistic in terms of at least the you know, Scandinavian countries were much more humane in terms, of, in terms of their dealings with Africa. Even now, a lot of Scandinavian nations are, are moving to the right, and they're becoming less, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, less uh, um, obligatory toward the interest, you know, of, of African states. And so, so it seems to me, Brother Africa, you know, that um, Africa has to, you know, there are certain things that Africa has to do in terms of at least keep clean, creating a platform or the possibility, you know, uh, to bring about some real change. I think one of the things that Africa has to do, it has to embrace the idea that when you talk about all for the centuries of, of death that has taken place in Africa, forget the, you know, the, 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 the enslavement of African people aside, I'm just talking about raw record resources that have been stolen from Africa without adequate compensation. African leaders need to start saying, listen, this is the debt that you owe us. You can never repay the debt that you owe, but you're going to pay some amount of money in terms of just to acknowledge what you did and essentially wrong. So having said that, Brother Africa, I, 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 I think that if, if we're going to get the West to, to, to take Africa seriously or to treat Africa fairly, then Africa has to make some demands of its own order for that to come to fruition. Anything short in terms of organized Africa fighting on one accord, the bottom line is the West is not going to listen to them because morality is not in the interest of capitalism. And in understanding that, it's going to take blunt reality, blunt, uh, um, blunt confrontation in terms of making sure that Africa gets what's needed in terms of, you know, as, as in terms of, you know, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, um, the kind of resources or the kind of, of trading uh, relationship it needs in terms of in terms of moving forward in the society and or in this world. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, in closing out this particular discussion tonight, as we talk about tools of oppression by the West, that's one particular tool, political tool, I think we have to speak truth to power tonight is the two of the two political parties and the bourgeois party throughout the Western countries. Before tonight, I'd like to speak to the issue of the two of the, the two of the two so-called two parties in the U.S., the Republican and Democratic Party. 
Aren't they complicit and part of all these tools of oppression? Brother Anthony, your response. Uh, yes, they are. They are uh, a part of because um, uh, they they represent the same class interests, and that is the uh, the ruling bourgeoisie. And so they uh, so both uh, the the, uh, the Republican and Democratic parties are complicit in terms of. Uh, uh, the oppression of African and, uh, and and other people worldwide in the interest of imperialism, and they both represent the same class interests, so they are complicit. And um, and um, you know it does uh, people no good uh, to continue to support either one of them. Because they uh, they're both corrupt, and I, and uh, I think people sense this, but they don't see an alternative. So they continue. Uh, so they uh, they simply do not participate in the political process at all. Uh, you know, instead of uh, you know finding an alternative, because the media. Uh, puts out the myth that there is no alternative, and uh, that's the da- that's dangerous. So, thank you, brother Anthony, and to our brothers and sisters inside outside United States who work with the bourgeois parties. Don't you continue to be a tool of oppression by supporting these institutions and going against your own interests? This is. Africa on the moon. We're going to take a rubbish-fair culture break. When we come back, we'll have our final thought on today's theme. This is Brother Africa, and we'll be right back. Those are going to well. If I had a million dollars, what would I do with it? What would I do?
I look forward to another show. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Good night. And let's continue to describe before we have a Bible snapper. Next, we go to our Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Well, um, I, I think, you know, um, not not to be the dead horse, but I think it's important we understand the proliferation of authoritarianism in the society. Uh, essentially, what's happening is that a, a system is being shaped and which is making it very easy for some idiot or some madman or mad woman uh, to occupy the top of that system and have absolute control every aspect of our lives. We got to get very clear, you know. You know, one of the things that often, you know, we, when we think about authoritarianism, we think about politicians, but we don't. We don't often think about in terms of the processes involved in terms of getting us to that point. In that regard, we never talk about the role organizations play in terms of, uh, you know, uh, bringing about the, the the evolution of authoritarianism. Uh, one of the things recently I, I discovered, you know, uh, the Heritage Foundation, a a think tank, which is uh, which is financed by billionaires and corporations. It's one implements of Project 25, and it's a very interesting project. And when we talk about the spread of authoritarianism, it's certainly the blueprint for, for the making of authoritarianism in U.S. society. One, it talks about um, replace all authority uh, with corporate or elite power. Of course, we understand if you replace all power with corporate or elite power, then they're going to do anything and everything for their interests. And in terms of the interests of the masses of people, it's not going to be interest at all, which means that the kind of level of suffering, the level of injustice is going to be off the scale. And we have to understand clearly, this is not some uh, some some exaggeration. This is very, very real stuff. And so when we talk about in terms of the eliminating any governmental authority, then we got to understand that it doesn't bode well for humanity generally. Also, it, this sort of part, Project 23-25 also talks about emulating um, – uh, any administration that deals with social programs, and that's, that is very, very interesting. I mean, they are convinced that poor people don't serve a, a, a need in the society. And certainly in the context of capitalism, I certainly can see that. Now that there's no need in terms of lots of lots of employment, I certainly can see why poor people will be, will be expandable. In that regard, if they're expandable, then why would you provide social, service, social services for them when it's much better for them, it's much more conducive, more convenient for the powers that be if they simply disappeared or they simply died. Well, certainly if you don't provide social programs for the poor people without access to jobs, uh, the bottom line is how they're going to survive. Well, the question is they don't. Uh, the response is, any is that they don't. And so and because that is the reality, uh, these people are helping on creating the conditions to make damn sure they destroy any social programs to help poor people. And I want people to understand that when we talk about social programs, mostly we're talking about poor white people. We're not talking about, you know, we're not majority African people. We're talking about poor white people. And so white folks got to fundamentally understand that not to be deceived by this notion when we talk about social programs, you're talking about African people. That's not simply not the case. And we have to be clear on that. Also, Project 25 seeks to weaken or destroy the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security. Now, I can certainly concur that these agencies that commit a lot of atrocities, I'd be the first to say that. But to the extent that they at least serve some bourgeois interest in terms of at least being able to call attention to some kind of systematic inequalities that exist in society, they are useful. 
Uh, but they're talking about eliminating the Department of Justice, FBI, and Department of Homeland Security. Well, if you eliminate them, then certainly then you think about in terms of the rise of the right wing in American society. If you eliminate the FBI, Department of Homeland, Department of Homeland, Homeland Security, then who are you got to monitor the so-called crazies, the right wing nuts, you know, who are running around in forests playing gun games, you know, waiting for the day for civil war? Who are going to monitor these individuals? Well, that is the point. That is precisely what the Heritage Foundation wants, Project 25. They want to make sure there's no one available to monitor them. So, in other words, give them carte blanche to do what they want or when they want, as long as they uh, commit atrocities against a certain group. And in this context, when we talk about America, of course, we're talking about African people, Latin people, Asian people, and immigrants, and, and gay people. Let's be very clear who they're talking about. But probably most most problematic is they talk about when it comes to the Constitution, talking about essentially elimination of the Constitution. They're struggling to bring about the unitary theory of, of interpretation of the Constitution. In other words, under Article II of the Constitution, they believe that the president should have total control over federal bureaucracy. Well, can you imagine someone with a Trump mentality or Trump himself as president of the states has total control over the bureaucracy? Can you imagine the kind of injustice, the kind of suffering, the kind of destruction that's going to take place with such a mindset, uh, such a personality, in positions of total control of the federal bureaucracy. This is some very, scary, some very, very scary stuff. But And finally, let me just say this, Brother Africa. I think one of the things is, is, is equally scary is that this Project 25 wants to do away with any poss- possibility in terms of get, get, getting rid of uh, uh, fossil fuels. Their position is that even though the planet is being undermined or destroyed you know, by fossil fuels, uh, their position is that it's, it's very possible. In that regard, it should continue. They're talking about more investments for fossil fuel, more carbon, more methane uh, uh, secretions into the air. They don't care about in terms of the impact on human life. Their position is that they can provide for the wealthy in terms of providing what they need in terms of being able to subsist in under very toxic circumstances. While at the same token, at the same token, understanding that poor people who won't have access to the resources, uh, are going to die simply because they don't have access to the things they need in terms of competing within such a toxic environment. These people are ruthless and cold. We have to fundamentally understand that what we're up against. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage the, Af- the, the, the community to unravel the matrix. It is key. Uh, it is, no, no longer can we, we can ill afford to take the position that, listen, the less I know, the happier I am. We got to understand, even though it's painful, even if it's on some level stressful, we have to fundamentally understand the reality that, that we're confronted with. The bottom line is that this reality that we're confronted with is not going to change no matter how optimistic you are, no matter how much you go to church, no matter how much you pray uh, that things will change. The bottom line is that people in positions of power are committed to maintaining power, and they do whatever and in everything in terms of maintaining power. We fundamentally have to understand the challenges that we're confronted with because if we don't understand the fundamental challenges that we're confronted with, we got no one to blame but ourselves when 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 the hazard comes knocking at our door. With that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Good night, Brother Africa. Thank you for your contribution for today's program. And Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that um is that the solution to the tools of oppression uh, that imperialism uses is that we must 
or get organized as a people. Uh, uh, the days when um, when one person can free us are are are, are gone. Our enemies are well organized, and we have to get well organized as well. Uh, one social organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party (GC), and you can find out more about us, our objective and program, by visiting our website www.a-aprp-gc.org. And uh, you can find out about our program, our objective, Pan-Africanism, and uh, the history of our organization and what we're about. And uh, you can also take a, a, a look at some of our, uh, our past webinars as well. Uh, and, uh, a, you know, uh, the solution to our problems is to join an organization that's working for Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thanks for having me. We thank you for your participation, Brother Anthony. Points went well said. We're all of our political panelists and analysts today. We'd like to thank our supporters. You, the listening audience, to tune in and allow Africa to move to come to your home and to come to your countries. Until next time, we just want to remind you that we must always strive to go forward, album after novel, and Africanism as the total liberation and unification of Africa and scientific socialism, called by Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana, is an objective that will address the side of the problems of the Billions of African people around the world. So Africans, let's get organized. Let's support Africa on the move. And let's make our proper contribution to humanity by joining an organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people and to make humanity better. Until next time, we leave you with some music inspiration, and we'll see you next week at 7 p.m., on Sunday, under the platform of Blog Talk Radio, Africa is on the move. <laughs>